0: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by
1: Qualcomm. Greater connectivity benefits the greater good, and Qualcomm invented 5G breakthroughs that make it possible. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. 5G is reshaping our world in countless ways and significantly impacting our daily lives. Besides vaulting our telecommunications forward, the new technology recasts the digital landscape for innovation, growth, and increased competition on the international stage. In this episode, we'll hear from two experts as they examine how this fifth-generation mobile network is impacting the manufacturing industry and securing the United States' role in the future of technology. Let's listen.
2: Hi, I'm Kat Zakresky, a technology policy reporter here at The Post. Today, we're going to examine how 5G technology is reshaping our world, as well as its impact on the global economy and the jobs market. My first guest is the president and CEO of Ericsson North America, Nicholas Hoivaldopp. Welcome to the Washington Post, Nicholas.
0: Thanks so much, Kat, for having me.
2: Thanks so much for being here. And so I wanted to start today. Ericsson has said that it's at the forefront of this 5G transformation. Can you tell me a little bit about the role that the company is playing in that shift in the United States and where you see things headed in the next 12 months?
0: Absolutely, I'll do my best. So we started, of course, doing research on 5G many years ago and probably 10, 12 years ago. And we have, ever since the word got out, what we were working on as an industry with 5G, of course, been approached by industrials from multiple sectors, been working with 20, 30 partners from different industries to figure out how 5G could help transform their operations. And they typically come at it from the perspective of how can I reduce my total operating costs, transform my customer experience, or grow into new business opportunities. And some of the underlying drivers were were the same and I guess I should have seen already in the very early conversations that smart manufacturing was going to be one of those places where the value of 5G was going to be significant and being one of the prime suppliers of 5G technology it of course makes very good sense for us to also start experimenting with our own technology and some of the adjacent technologies like AI, machine learning, virtual reality that all benefit from 5G because it's really uh, in and around 5G, we have a lot of other disruptive technologies also evolving uh, and that creates this super interesting, uh, call it exponential innovation in, in across multiple industries. So uh, being again one of the leaders, we had the privilege of working with our North American customers, which are front runners from a global perspective, accelerated the 5G standards. So that already in late 2018, we were able to launch 5G, 5G networks then, first in the world, in the U.S. And uh, we enjoyed that early leadership position and were then part of that success of building out the 5G networks. And what we then also did, since we saw a huge demand in the U.S., we decided to then also move manufacturing back to the U.S. And we hadn't done that, I don't think anybody has done that for about two decades. Since 2G, no no telecom equipment has been produced at scale in the U.S. But we saw the need to be close to our lead customers since there was going to be a lot of local requirements that we want to respond to in a good way. Uh, We started the work. And looking at 5G as one technology, AI, virtual reality as some complementary technologies, edge compute, We determined that there was actually a good business case for us to move manufacturing to the U.S. And I can talk about some of the examples of the use cases that we saw, but I guess I can start by saying that uh, we started the work in March of 2019 when we hired the first engineer. We launched a factory in March of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. We could not have done that without 5G action.
2: And Nicholas, I wanted to maybe just start and ask you a little bit about the rollout so far in the U.S., because as you mentioned, 5G technology has been available to consumers here for a couple of years. But in a lot of cases, they're not really seeing a meaningful difference for many cell phone customers in the difference between their 5G plans and 4G so far. So when do you think we'll start to see a difference and the really transformative effects of this tech?
0: Fair question, and uh, we have come a very long way in the U.S., so we do have about 300 million population equivalent in coverage, but it's in a low band, to your point. So the performance is uh, slightly better than 4G, but certainly not transformative. Uh, We then have uh, seen deployments uh, now in the mid-band spectrum, which is where you get some of the really high throughput and some of the unique performance characteristics of 5G. You can say we've only come halfway, so there is about 160 million of the U.S. population coverage. And then the exceptionally uh, high performance you get when you deploy 5G in the very high bands, the millimeter wave bands, that's now available in 75 cities. But your, your point is fair. We're in the middle of the build out across the country, but you will start seeing exceptional performance starting uh, to translate into innovative services now i think the next 12 to 18 months is when this is really going to take off when these unique capabilities the truly differentiated 5g capabilities get exposed to developers and they can start programming on this new pervasive innovation platform that's when we'll see the real innovation happening in both i guess for the benefit of consumers enterprises but also the public sector for sure i mean we've seen a huge acceleration now in healthcare and education, for example. So I think, I think the next 12 to 18 months is when, when this is really gonna take off, but the construction is under full weight. And we, we, we started a slightly disadvantaged in the US because we didn't have a lot of mid band spectrum available to our customers when the 5G rollout started. So we're playing a little bit of catch up in that sense.
2: And so you mentioned in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll start seeing some of these effects. What can consumers expect? Because obviously 4G ushered in so many of the technologies we use every day. Services like Uber and more wouldn't be possible without it. What are you looking forward to most as 5G becomes more ubiquitous?
0: Yeah, that's the, the, the $1.5 trillion question, I guess. That's the CTI number for the amount of GDP growth that 5G will generate in the U.S. during this decade. Um, I hadn't been too bullish about too bullish about the opportunity in the consumer space, but what we see several of our customers uh, promoting pretty aggressively now is, of course, fixed wireless access. So that that is an interesting application that I think will be particularly relevant as we try to close the digital divide in the U.S. That's an important one where five G will play an important role. When it comes to new services, I think look at uh, gaming. I think is uh, one of those sectors which holds a huge promise and for 5G can really make a difference so you, you need the unique throughput and bandwidth that 5G offers plus this instant responsiveness of the network. So already today gaming is a 175 billion dollar industry globally, about 50% of it is already mobile and based on um, call it early experiences, we we look around the world. So in South Korea, for example, that already has a nationwide network in the mid-band, so a high performance network, the big growth has been in the gaming sector and the partnerships between the operators and the device manufacturers, uh, both the iPhone and the Samsung uh, new devices are actually gaming platforms. So there is a lot of innovation happening in and around gaming. So I think add to that, in the not-too-distant future, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some new creative uh, headsets, goggles, uh, so you can see some more uh, immersive uh, gaming experiences taking form. It's not an, uh, it, it wouldn't be too far-fetched that now that the, the network compute platform is being pushed out into the far edge, that you can have basically a virtual gaming console sitting on the network and the relatively thin client and device. So my kid wouldn't have to buy a new gaming console every 18 months. You can literally rely on uh, the cloud infrastructure with instant responsiveness over 5G. So I think gaming is one of those uh, really exciting spaces uh, in the consumer category. Then, of course, and I can go back to our very own factory uh, that we were able to launch here during the pandemic. A couple of examples. We've been experimenting with dozens of different use cases. All it really takes is a handful. Uh, to make the business case for the investment of the infrastructure. In in our case, again, we launched in March of uh, 2020, uh, autonomous guided vehicles that we have transporting equipment on the shop floor have reduced manual material handling by 65%. And that's significant, it's a security risk, and it's also a task that distracts our employees. Uh, So that is one use case, which we've seen uh, deliver significant value. Uh, digital twins and uh, with a lot of sensors replicating the production floor with a digital twin has allowed us to reduce downtime in production by 50%. We've seen production capacity increase by 25% and waste and errors reduced by 30%. So significant savings with that, call it one use case then virtual reality, I mean, uh, as I mentioned, we could not have launched the factory if it wouldn't have been for 5G and virtual reality. Because remember now, March 2020, travel ban, and we had our reference factory in Estonia, most of our expert engineers in Estonia, and we had just hired a complete engineering team in Louisville, Texas, to be trained on the equipment that was still not on the shop floor. So we literally had to use augmented reality to train our employees on site in Louisville on virtual equipment that was not on the floor yet by experts sitting in Estonia. And that allowed us to prepare our team so that when the equipment arrived, we could then also initiate manufacturing without anybody having to travel. that one use case uh, we see is very relevant also now going forward, because every time we introduce a new product, We don't have to fly in experts or send anybody to training. Our local team is then trained uh, leveraging augmented reality, staying on site in Louisville, Texas. And that, of course, also has allowed us to increase the job content and the ability of our local employees to work on uh, higher skilled tasks, which makes for a much more fulfilling job. And if you look at... I saw some statistics not too long ago that 60% of the jobs in the manufacturing space that have not been filled is for lack of experience. Augmented reality and the kind of technologies we have experimented with uh, would address that and would create an opportunity to then use less trained, less prepared employees to work uh, with augmented reality uh, guided by experts or even uh, artificial intelligence.
2: And so, So, on that point, about about the factory why do you need 5g when you're in one fixed location to do that why can't you use just existing broadband and, and wi-fi capabilities
0: yeah that's a really good question and we have been at this for about five years there is a number of things it's uh, the fact that 5g you could argue just as 4g works on licensed spectrum so you don't have any interference you have a guaranteed integrity and security of your, of your network, instant responsiveness, throughput, the amount of devices you can put on a, on a, on a square mile or a square foot is vastly superior to other competing technologies, energy efficiency. There's a number of factors. Uh, one of our customers calls it the eight currencies of 5G. There's a number of factors uh, that make 5G rather uniquely um, uh, uniquely equipped to serve these use cases. And you can maybe find a technology for a certain use case that could be superior and another technology for another use case, but 5G can support all use cases. So with one technology, you can basically service all kinds of use cases that you will need on, in our case then on a, on a smart factory site, the manufacturing site. So the fact that we can equip essentially any device any goods transitioning on the floor with the sensors and track them in real time, analyze the data in real time and then action, uh, take actions, predict the prescriptive maintenance kind of actions is unique to 5G.
2: And one thing that I read, um, you're pushing into mining with 5G as well, which is an area that I think we don't traditionally think of as being disrupted by a new technology like this. Can you tell me a little bit about how 5G is used in mining and whether or not it can make the process safer?
0: Absolutely, and I think you, you started with, uh, or you finished with uh, one of the key questions. Mining is the riskiest business in the world. We have more fatalities in the mining business, more injuries in the mining business than in other, any other industry. So, mining uh, industrials were among the first customers to approach us to understand how 5G could help transform the mining operation. And there is a number of things obvious things like sensors. We can detect uh, any movements uh, in the mine and trigger the alarms, tracking of devices. Um, I had no idea that uh, you could actually be losing uh, excavators that weigh 12 tons, but the, the miners are. Very distributed, and a big problem for mining operators is that they lose equipment. Maybe more interesting is by using the responsiveness in the 5G network and the bandwidth that we have in 5G networks, you can now work with autonomous excavators. So you can send these big machines down in the mines, drill rigs, with an operator sitting outside the mine, perfectly safe, with high resolution video and haptic feedback. So you can literally sit with a steering wheel and sense when the truck drives over a rock or or so. So you have instant responsiveness and that allows you to operate these big machines underground in mines. The additional benefit of uh, of doing that is that now you don't need to have your employees in the mine. The mine is not a safe environment. And when you work with explosives to extend the mine, uh, you have to evacuate the mine and run a lot of air conditioning to clear the mine of toxic fumes before operators can get back into the mine. I think the number for all uh, the mines combined in Sweden, we probably run up 2% of the energy bill in Sweden in running air conditioning in underground mines. You don't have to do that if you don't have to have people in the mines. There is huge environmental impact, energy efficiency impact, the fact that you can now run your excavators 24 uh, seven and also haulers and, and other equipment that uh, will be operating in the mine. So we've seen impressive numbers, 40, 60% operating efficiencies, 15% energy savings. So big, big numbers not to mention then health and employee safety. So mining is truly one of those industries that bene- will benefit a lot from, from 5G for sure.
2: And we only have a few minutes left. So I wanted to turn now to a viewer question for you. Uh, Tom Kramer of California, he asks, what is the United States doing to become technically competitive with China and Huawei?
0: That's a big question. It's a very good question. So I think first, uh, being first matters. The U.S. was first uh, was very influential in the standard setting. So we benefited from rolling out the first 5G networks in the world. We did it first in the low band, in the mid band and in the millimeter wave band. So that early technology leadership, pushing the envelope on on technology so that us then that manufacture the equipment can continue evolving that and make sure that we get the best performance out of the 5G networks. The kind of pilots uh, that we're talking about now, early proof of concepts, stress testing, the technology, the platform with these highly demanding use cases helps us improve the technology. The big benefit, and where the real race is, is at the end of the day, the innovation that will happen on top of the network. So here, and we're working uh, very hard on that across the industry, we need to make sure that uh, leaders in AI, cloud infrastructure, in machine learning, in uh, in nanotech, in uh, battery uh, energy efficiencies, all come together and uh, combine our capabilities and expose those to developers. And I think that's the big, um, the big next step and that's where the race at the end of the day gets determined. Who can expose this pervasive 5G network compute platform to developers in an open, intuitive and programmable way so that U.S. developers, there's no shortage of venture capital here and there is no shortage of brilliant minds and developers. We need to get the platform built out. We've come maybe halfway, so 12 to 18 months from now, the platform should be truly built out nationwide and then get the developer ecosystem activated. And that's where we see other leading nations uh, looking at private-public partnerships and other means to fund the innovation uh, to happen on top of that uh, 5G platform. So at the end of the day, the 5G race is not uh, the end game. It's a means to an end. We need to get the networks built out for the real innovation to happen. We saw it in 4G. uh, With all the innovation that happened on top of the 4G networks, I think 5G will be even bigger and even more important for, again, I I think the bigger in, I mean, it's the next generation Tesla's GEs that will be built on top of this platform.
2: Well, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today. Thank you so much for joining us here, Nicholas, at Washington Post Live, and I'll be right back. The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post Newsroom was not involved in the production of this content.
3: 5G will transform our world, introducing new capabilities that will change many aspects of our lives and our industries. Hello, I'm Jean Meserve, and joining me is Cristiano Amon. He is president and CEO of Qualcomm Incorporated. Let me ask you, first of all, there's a global race underway to develop and deploy 5G. How important do you think it is that the US take the lead?
4: It's very important. This uh, generation of wireless technology is different than any other Gs that we have seen before. 5G will be the technology that will connect everyone and everything to the cloud 100% of the time and will be the critical ingredient for the future digital economy. Nobody wants to be late to 5G and we're seeing that right now in the speed of the global rollout. Just as an example, Um, we're tracking two years faster the 4G to 5G migration compared to what we saw from 3G to 4G. We have now 170 operators across 70 countries with commercial service on 5G, and we have 443 operators across another 133 countries investing the network. Just in the month of June, China... Uh, sold 79% of all smartphones sold in that month was 5G. And it's obviously a race. Uh, As the the technology that will enable the future cloud economy, no country wants to be late. Being late to 5G means not only have access to the new set of jobs and capabilities, but it's about having a competitive economy as we all move to digital and the
3: cloud. Some of the top concerns right now: sustainability and job growth. How will five G impact those?
4: Look, you're right. Five uh, G, besides fueling jobs, and we look just in the United States, the potential to add 16 million jobs across all sectors directly related to five G by 2025. We also going to we're going to see benefits in sustainability. Uh, we will allow. 5G will allow us to build a more sustainable uh, economy without sacrificing growth. Just to give an example, Gene, we expect 5G, when it's fully deployed by 2025 across all sectors, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the United States at a scale that is equivalent to taking 81 million cars off the road for a year. And in, in its direct contribution to Uh, intelligent transportation will increase fuel efficiency by 20 percent. It's an incredible uh, uh, contribution to the overall sustainability as we make everything more productive and more efficient.
3: Semiconductor supply chains are facing challenges. Are there some specific policies that you would like to see that would correct that?
4: Yes, we have been very vocal about it. We're Great uh, believers in uh, in having a resilient uh, and globally diverse uh, supply chain. We're big supporters of the United States Chips Act. We applaud that initiative, in $52 billion, destined to build a more resilient supply chain. As one of the largest fabulous semiconductor companies in the, in the United States, we require a competitive supply chain, and if we all learn. Through this crisis that semiconductors are very important for our future, we need to make sure that the supply chain will meet our ambitions. And I think that it's great that not only the United States, but other countries are really looking at the importance of having a resilient and geographically diverse semiconductor supply chain.
3: Let me ask you about manufacturing. Um, How will 5G impact that sector? Will there be new capabilities?
4: Yes, and I'll, I'll say a little bit more than new capabilities. is really about delivering on the vision of the next industrial revolution. What 5G will do, enable the ability to bring manufacturing back to United States, to Europe, and other geographies, and make it competitive regardless of the scale. You can control a number of distributed manufacturing locations directly from the cloud. And as an example, data from Accenture shows that just from 21 to 25, 5G directly has the potential to drive $350 billion in new economic growth output in the United States, creating 1 million new manufacturing jobs.
3: Cristiano Amon, President and CEO of Qualcomm Incorporated. Thanks so much for joining us. Now back to The Washington Post.
2: And now back to Washington Post Live. Hi, I'm Kat Zakresky, a tech policy reporter here at the Washington Post. I wanna to continue today's program with Carolyn Lee, the Executive Director of the Manufacturing Institute. Welcome, Carolyn, to Washington Post Live.
1: Thank you, Kat, thanks for having me here.
2: Thank you. And so we've heard a lot about how 5G is going to change manufacturing at today's event so far, but I wanted to ask you, how do you see it changing jobs in the manufacturing space?
1: Well it's certainly going to change because it changes manufacturing and how we manufacture it's going to change the skills required from the workforce and able and in order to make these products right and to use the capabilities that come with 5g. so it's not only going to change the future as far as how we use Um, products in our everyday consumer lives, it's going to change the job and and enable manufacturing workers to do even more and to have more data at their fingertips, to learn, to adjust, to be more agile, more quickly than today's networks and and today's uh, technologies will allow. And so it's really, it's opening up a whole new future. And as Cristiano just said, you know, and, and Nicholas before him, it's the things that we're going to build on this platform and then the new capabilities that are going to be built on top of that's really exciting. And we're still waiting to see what those will be.
2: And we've talked a little bit about how 5G can enable uh, autonomous robots in the manufacturing sector. Um, And in some instances, that would certainly be a welcome change um, when you look at mining, like we were talking about earlier and the safety concerns there. But in those developments always do cause a little bit of anxiety for workers. I mean, what is your message to workers who might be concerned that 5G could bring greater automation that would destroy existing jobs?
1: So um, let me say, I don't subscribe to this this notion that it is uh, an either or scenario. Automation is enabling, and uh, technology today is enabling manufacturing careers, manufacturing sector, and manufacturing workers. Every single manufacturing employee I've talked to over these several years and said to them, "What do you think about the automation?" they're excited about the new abilities they have in their job to focus on the things that are that have inherently human skills at them at the heart of them so whether that's problem solving or communication or, or innovating those are things that are inherently human and so where we see automation and where we see automation being brought more online is to replace single tasks. Or, or functions. And the humans at the at the heart of modern manufacturing are then enabled to do other things. And they're freed up just to, to focus on, on those things that are more interesting. Now, what's also important is right now in our sector, we're facing unprecedented numbers of open jobs. We have over 889,000 open jobs in our sector because we don't have the people with the skills fill them. And people don't know that these are jobs that are desirable and that have bright futures. So we have this interesting, you know, discussion where there's this huge opportunity for new innovation. There's this huge opportunity for new workers to come from that, to create this next future from enabled by 5G, but we don't have the people with the skills. So we need to make sure that we're, um, it, it, we're providing those prerequisite skills in our, in our K-12 schooling so that people are able to then come in, and we also need to change the message about manufacturing so people see and understand that creators are wanted, and that's a big part of our campaign that we're running with the National Association of Manufacturers to help build these jobs, but that creators are wanted and that the opportunities are tremendous for humans to be at the center of our competitive future and to build
2: and make that future. And you mentioned that the people uh, that, that people don't have the right skills for these jobs that are available. Could you tell me a little bit more about what skills um, you need to see more of and, and what type of training we need to get there?
1: So I mean, there, there, the number of types of jobs in manufacturing is just tremendous. We need everything from designers and innovators and r and d, you know to production workers and and uh, assembly and uh, equipment handlers and maintenance technicians. And so there's a huge array. There's not one monolithic manufacturing job. And so really what we need people to know is that the careers are here, that they're high paid, there's long uh, a job career, a lot, of, a lot of ability to grow and continue to upskill. But the fundamental skills that are the skills that frankly are, are millennials and Gen Zs already gravitate to you know, problem solving and communication, but also coding and working with technology to solve problems. And those are kind of the fundamental skills that we need to embed in all of our training programs as we continue to upskill that next generation of, of workers and the workers that we have today to bring on and to adjust um, and to work with this new technology. So, you know, if you're interested in, in solving problems and saving lives and creating, you know, new solutions or new games, all of that comes through modern manufacturing. And all of those jobs and skills are available uh, for people to pursue. We just have to make sure people know that they're here.
2: Is the federal government currently doing enough to to facilitate that skills development?
1: You know, I think there's no, there's no silver bullet for workforce development. It is a federal state and local, it is a community issue. That's why we work all across the country at the Manufacturing Institute to help stand up local and regional uh, manufacturing training programs like, our, like the FAME uh, apprenticeship program that was founded by Toyota and is now operated by the Institute. So, you know, it's not, there's not a either or, all of us are in this together. Manufacturing is at the heart of being a competitive economic uh, power. For the U.S. and so we all need to work together. We need to make sure that there aren't barriers to access to short-term training that could lead to a really productive job and high-paying job. So things like making sure that Pell are, um, people are eligible to use Pell Grants for short-term training that might not lead to a degree but lead to a terrific job. Those kinds of changes are important and I know that the, folks in Congress are considering that, but we also need to work with states and localities that we're training for jobs that exist right now as people look for their new future.
2: And we heard a little bit about how the COVID pandemic affected Ericsson and forced them to turn to new technologies to open their factory. Can you tell me a little bit about how the manufacturing sector has been transformed by COVID and the role that you see 5g playing in this new normal moving forward
1: so you know I, I think i'm of a generation that we i would refer to like jetsons right there's this like there's this you know in in movies there's been this idea that you'll have this technology that you know you can see into another world without it exists today in augmented reality so where we Where um, COVID really had an impact is it accelerated a lot more flexible work. We all know that. We've had a tremendous shift. I think I've read some analysts say it's like 10 years of evolution of how people work shoved into one year's experience due to COVID. Now, 95% of manufacturers stayed open during the pandemic because they were essential They were essential workers, either creating supplies and and supplying PPE and the work around biopharma that allowed us to develop the vaccine so quickly. And, of course, all of the food and and daily products we use every day. So manufacturing stayed open, but what we did is we worked differently. Um, Where it was possible, people worked remotely, and that's where technology is enabled. Um, wi five G and other technologies became so handy. Things like augmented reality, to have somebody virtually able to see what was happening at a, at a physical site. So you could have a remote engineer working with production people on the floor to see what was happening with some of the, the machines, how um, products were being deployed, what was being produced, what challenges would be troubleshooting and also um, making sure that you're ahead of maintenance. So how we worked was different, but manufacturing kept operating and was so critical to us being able to get this far into, into um, the COVID response. And that's why these technologies coming to life, being used on the floor every day is so critical. So that's where like speed becomes so so important. So both the previous speakers talked about, you know, speed of the network and latency. You know, it's not like you're downloading your Netflix and it takes a minute for the, for the show to, to come all the way in when you're operating real time, you want to see what's happening. You want to understand what any challenges may be or to make sure that things are working correctly. So that data, that speed, that uh, connection was critical. And that's why I think the sector is able to operate differently we still have a huge challenge ahead by filling these jobs, but we're learning. And the fascinating thing, and this is just one, one quick point on manufacturing, that not only are we using the 5G technology, we are making the things with 5G embedded in it. So, you know, we're right at the center. It's not that the technology sector is separate. They are manufacturers, and they are making the future, and it's an exciting place to be right now.
2: Definitely, and related to that, I wanted to bring in a question that we have from a viewer um, Ronald Orr from Virginia, he asks, will 5G cause more remote work jobs?
1: I don't know if it will cause it. I think I'd say it might enable it. And I think what we've learned is that different jobs are going to operate differently. And um, I think all of us are sick of talking about, you know, the the new reality or the new uh, it's been well-worn, but the reality is, is I think we're all learning how to do things differently. We're learning how to be efficient, but we still know that human interaction and human connection and human ingenuity is critical to our success. And that's why I think people will be efficient and they say, okay, you can be remote for this. I'm here remote today doing this interview. Um, but then we come together to do things. And so it's in it, all of technology are enabling to workers and to i think our our sector and the overall economy and so i think that it's a really positive opportunity for us.
2: You mentioned the role that manufacturing is playing in developing 5G technologies and i wanted to turn to competition with China. What steps does the US need to take to ensure that it's remaining competitive with China as well as other countries like South Korea? When it comes to manufacturing new 5g tech
1: so I think I' take a, a kind of a, a bigger picture of it you know the institute we typically focus on competitiveness overall but really on the workforce but I know one thing that's critical to manufacturing and and our ability as a nation to compete are things like you know upgraded infrastructure and that's why i know the national association of manufacturers and manufacturers across the country are so um hopeful that infrastructure investment will come through and that that work will be able to that investment will be able to be made because that is the backbone of our economy and that's what all of us need to to operate on and so whether it's the roads and the bridges and the ports which of course everybody is aware of the challenges we're having in supply chain right now because of um of Basically, traffic. Uh, but at the same point in time, the the broadband investment and the build out of our te- of our technology investment and infrastructure is really critical to make sure that we continue to compete. And the other thing I'd say on the workforce front is we need to make sure we're training for jobs that exist today and the jobs that are coming down the pike. You know, our our work with Deloitte we've had a we've long had a talent study that we've released with Deloitte. We just released an updated one this past May. And what we found was by 2030, we'd have 4 million jobs that we need to fill in the sector. And of those over 2 million will go unfilled because we don't have the people with the skills who are coming to the sector and that are gonna be able to make that future. And that's a trillion dollar hit in 2030 alone if we don't fill these jobs. So if we wanna be able to compete in a global economy, we need to make sure we have the workers who have those skills, who are ready to build that future and so we need to come together to make sure that we're training and incentivizing training that's going to allow people to have those skills but we need to make sure that people have a modern perspective about manufacturing and know that these are jobs that they should want that there's huge upward uh, mobility potential and that these are fulfilling careers where you're building things and solving problems and and innovating and being creative and that's why we talk so often about creators being wanted because we have to fill those jobs in order to compete.
2: You mentioned the infrastructure package and how that um, is allocating funding to broadband deployment. Given the essential nature of five G that we're talking today, uh, should the should Congress should the federal government have taken that opportunity to direct more funding toward five G technologies?
1: Uh, you know, I I don't want to I want to stay in my lane on on workforce and competitiveness. I think that the attention to infrastructure overall. I, um, is critical and whether it's your, you know, once you build something and you have the technology and you're enabled with 5g, you still be able to have to be able to get your products places and you still have to use the physical infrastructure with the roads and the bridges. So I think I'd argue and all of the above solution is critical and we need to make sure that we are staying competitive and we're staying, um, modern in this country and we're investing where we need to, to be able to, to meet that future.
2: And talking about this moment that we're in the pandemic worker safety has been top of mind especially as we've seen outbreaks um, in some factories and i wanted to ask you there's been a lot of discussion about how 5g can better enable worker safety in some of these roles but what why couldn't we get there with other existing technologies like 4g or even Wi-Fi, what, what's different about 5G and, and, and why do you think it's a game changer?
1: Well, I think it's a game changer because you're enabling um, uh, quick and real-time interaction. Now, there is a lot of great examples that we have throughout manufacturing in all t- parts of the sector who, where companies have done tremendous uh, work to make sure their workers stay safe. And whether that's physical distancing shifts, you know. Um, Changing the ways shifts change happen so that you don't have one group coming in and one group going out, enabling workers who could be remote to work remotely using technology. And there's great examples for where that kept people safe. But we know with the pandemic, we need multiple layers of defense here. It's not just physical distancing. We need masks. We need vaccination. We need all of those things to enable that we're we're protecting our workforce. Right, and, and the workforce is our manufacturer's most important resource. So I know manufacturers were really doubling down to make sure that they were doing things to keep safe. Now, our, our original header here for this segment was that 9 out of 10 manufacturers in a recent study we did said that they expect to deploy 5G technology before the end of this year to be testing it and deploying it. I think what that does is it allows us to go even faster into the Ford Auto revolution to be able to adopt these technologies more quickly and I think the thing that we've all learned you know in the last 20 years is that we can't even predict all the things that we'll be able to do and that this technology will enable but we're off to a really good start and we know some really good um, options that are there as Nicholas talked about digital twins and the ability to um, using augmented reality to manipulate and to work deeply on a product while not having people there, and maybe teams from all over the world or all over the country. Those are hugely enabling to making sure that we're able to get the best minds and the best talent together to be able to solve these challenges. So, you know, I'm I'm hugely optimistic about what this technology is gonna bring and how that's gonna enable us to create that future.
2: And I know we can't predict all the new jobs that this is going to create, but could you talk through a little bit You've mentioned a lot about these exciting creator roles throughout the segment. What are some of those specific jobs? What are some you've seen so far that you're most excited about? so
1: you know there's um there's the innovation jobs right There's the people who dream big and and create things they never even thought of right Those are fascinating, and those will be there will be need more of those. but we also then have people on the other side who have to maintain and um, troubleshoot and operate and engage with the technology that's coming. So uh, before the pandemic, I was on a tour of 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 a jelly bean factory out in the West Coast, and they had a 72 year old employee who had been with the company for 35, 40 years, who because of automation coming in, they weren't able to keep that employee and he was doing a slightly different job. He was helping engage the, the automation, the, the arm that was lifting and, and moving the stacks of uh, pallets of jelly beans. Whereas before, without that technology, that you know worker in his seventies would have a hard time fulfilling that job. But now he was using the technology to do the physical job he used to do. So you know, as we talk about what the skills are and what the job opportunities are, there's a huge range. We need people to maintain, to operate, to engage with, to code, but to dream up and to build, you know, as as somebody who's been part of the manufacturing sector now for a long time, being able to go and see not only the products that we make, but how we make the products that that we use every day is just fascinating. And that's a really huge opportunity to see, to have somebody come in and imagine say, okay, we have this capability, we have a a high speed, um, low latency, you know, real-time uh network and how we can deploy that to do fill in the blank. And that is the future that's coming. And so the the opportunities are just so vast. It's it's I think it's exciting.
2: And we just have time for one final question. And I know this topic of competitiveness with China has been front and center. So right now when you look at the workforce skills issues that we've talked about. How do you think the current state of the U.S. workforce, how does that stack up to major U.S. competitors like China?
1: You know, I think one of our challenges here is we're still overcoming this old antiquated perception of manufacturing in our country. And I think that's something
0: of manufacturing and understand and attract people in so that they know that these are.
2: I'm so sorry. I think we're having some technical difficulties right now, but this is the conclusion of our program. So thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining us today. What an interesting discussion. Thank you. And thank all of you for watching at home. Really appreciate you joining us at Washington Post Live. I'm Kat Zakresky.
1: Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.